Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroya, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at arroya.io. All right, what's up, Grammys? Welcome to Arroya Office Hours, your source for free cannabis cultivation education. I'm your moderator, Keisha, and this is episode 90. Can you believe it? If you're on Hangout or checking us out on YouTube or Instagram, drop your question in the chat, and if it gets picked, we will cover it during the show. Jason, how you doing today? Holding it down in studio solo. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, it's wonderful. Very excited to announce that we have a special guest in the house today on the show. We'd like to invite, uh, welcome Tim Crow from Fame and Lighting. Welcome. Thank you. Thank so you. Good to have here. you. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, totally. Well, I know all about you because I am in Northern California, not too far from where you're situated. But let's give a give give everybody give the folks out there a little bio. Tell us about your background. Yeah. So. Um, I think I'm most known for being a cultivator around the Sacramento area. Um, I've been in cannabis for 14, 15 years now, growing at scale for about 10 of those years. Um, previously worked at Alien Labs and connected for a bit and then broke off on my own, um, did my doing my consulting thing. And now the uh, company that takes almost all of my time is Faven Under Canopy Lighting and I'm really providing a good commercial solution for Under Canopy for the space. So. That is what I do all day now. <laughs> I, I see a lot less plants, but. <laughs> do you okay. miss interacting with those plants though? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. I do. I still find a little bit of time, but it's not as much as I like to, but. Well, I would love to know a little bit more about your journey. Like how did you go from, you know, 14 years ago in cannabis to now you've got a light and under canopy lighting business. Yeah. Um, kind of all started at an atmosphere concert in Berkeley as like, as, as like stoner as that sounds. Um, but yeah, uh, basically just, you know, kind of got into paying bills through cannabis, um, and really met a couple really influential people early on, um, and learned how to grow on the Mendocino coast there in Fort Bragg. And, uh, from there just fell in love with growing and kept going, got outdoor capabilities, became primarily light depth, um, light depth, mixed light, and just full-term grower. And then um, legalization in California hit in about 2016, 2017, and the market got a little weird. And um, I think somebody offered me like 1300 for some debt pounds or something. And I was like, that's too low. And I was like, I'm done, you know, which is such a great number now. It's funny to think back to. Um, but I actually stopped and went back to school. So I went to UC Davis for a couple years, um, got a bachelor's of science from them, and then got out of there and got a job with Alien and connected like a month later. And yeah, haven't left SAC. Oh my God, amazing. Yeah, and tell the folks a little bit about the Sacramento cannabis scene. Um, yeah. There's really nothing like it. And um, I'm saying that, and I haven't traveled the world to see all the scenes, but um, at least from a grower standpoint, I, I just think there's no place like it. It's there's so many well-established like universal brands within a couple square miles of each other. And um, you know, we're competitive with each other, but it's, it's still all about the plant and it's still all about the community. And I just think it's very unique. Um, you know, we're all competing in the same space, but you know, if I see somebody at the hydro store, cause we all go to the same hydro store. Um, 
you know, if I see them at the hydro store, we'll end up, you know, killing 20, 30 minutes, just talking, you know? So it's, it's just very unique. And there's some of the best cannabis in the world is coming from Sacramento. And that's, I am partial. Yes, but that is the truth. So we're, I just feel very lucky to have originally been from this region. You're not exaggerating. Sacramento cannabis is exceptional. I mean, there it is. By and large. By and large. All right. So you focus on under canopy lighting with Faven. Jason, let's talk about lighting. Let's give like a little overview about how lighting factors into crop steering. And, and I would love to just kind of get this uh, piece of how under canopy lighting fits within that data-driven cultivation. So go for it. Sure. Let's start with the basics. Obviously, you know, photosynthesis is catalyzed by light. So we've got um, CO2 and water that's catalyzed by light. So it is the driving energy factor in producing biomass. Um, you know, it, it's what's helping the plant um, build all of the blocks for material. Um, basically, you know, you're sequestering carbon and turning it into cannabis. So when we think about, all right, what, you know, what has, what have we seen in the processes of, of light development? And obviously in the, the very early days was like mercury vapors and the weird stuff before um, commercial stuff really came available. And, and, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't much um, greenhouse production, uh, you know, early on in the days. And obviously through the 1900s, um, we started to see the implementation, implementation of, um, HIDs um, and high pressure sodiums for many a decades have kind of been the standard for any greenhouse or indoor cultivation. Um, obviously, you know, as LED technologies have dropped in price and material manufacturing has allowed for um, white LEDs to be a cost effective option, um, the emergence of those have, have had some pretty significant impacts on how we can modulate light in order to also modulate how the plant is responding. Um, and so when we think about, all right, well, how does it all work, right? In most instances, you know, say before supplemental, we were getting uh, full spectrum sunlight always coming from above. Um, and, you know, the thing that's great about full spectrum is it's extremely powerful when we're getting it from the sun. Um, the sun has an array of angles. Um, as it works throughout the day. And so those photons are hitting the leaf surface and um, the chlorophyll is responding to that. So um, basically when we think about, all right, how, how, how does it work inside of uh, a supplemented indoor facility? And obviously our constraints are, so how, how many lights can we put and how, how, how much money can we use electricity wise to, uh, to produce this product? And um, there's obviously usually not a lot of variance in how that uh, light is penetrating the canopy, right? So, and this is kind of what comes into play with uh, when we talk about defoliating and um, canopy management practices is, all right, well, depending on how bushy my plants are, what my plant spacing is, um, what my light layout um, is, uh, how, how much of that light do I have to basically modify the plant so that it can make the best use of it throughout the canopy of the plant. Um, and then obviously, I don't know, Tim probably saw it a little bit longer ago, but I think under canopy lighting, I probably saw first maybe five years ago um, at some facilities we were testing that stuff out. And you know, the idea there is, well, if we're having to manage our canopy more because we're not getting enough light to the, the lower parts of the plant, well, let's just supplement that from different angles. Um, and, you know, it just happens that under canopy is a, you know, an easier installation than probably, you know, 
outside canopy lighting would be. Um, and with the implementation of LEDs, you know, there's a, a kind of a convenience factor, whereas I don't think you could really use HPSs under canopy in a very effective way. Obviously, you've got a, a lot of heat, um, typically quite a bit larger fixtures. And so, you know, with, with LED bars, um, which is pretty much most of the under canopy lighting that I see, uh, you get some flexibility in that. And so we have manufacturers like Faven that are optimizing those fixtures to be used in benches um, so that they can be clean easy, so that they're not outputting too much heat to affect your your canopy temperatures, all that type of stuff. And um, I'll turn it over here to Tim and, and maybe he can tell us a little bit about what, what Faven's doing to optimize that usage. Yeah, and that was perfect. It's, you know, LED technology has come such a long way in just the last five years that it really has allowed Faven to become a company. Um, and yeah, exactly. We're, you know, we are completely geared for putting a light underneath the plant. You know, we didn't just take a light, turn it upside down and put it underneath the plant. There's a whole shape, there's certain types of diodes, there's diffusion, there's you know, how to disperse the heat as you touched on. Um, you know, there's so many factors that goes into this. And um, luckily enough, I saw, I, you know, you probably saw under canopy earlier than me, earlier than I. We used to mess around with the drop LED lights. The, they like, they were the first ones to come out. You drop them inside the canopy and like, they were like 45 Watts. Like they, they didn't do anything, you know, um, we had better luck hanging HPS bulbs vertically in between our rows. That was like the move, but then you would catch a nasty burn on the back of your neck. If you bumped it on accident, <laughs> that was not ideal. Um, but I mean, that's the, the lengths that we used to go to, to get more light into the, you know, the lower canopy. Um, and luckily we've just been able to, um, you know, luckily I saw very early on in the under canopy phase was able to test, you know, inter canopy, under canopy, um, different placement, different planting densities, different lighting densities, you know, how intense can you go underneath the canopy? Like what is too much under there? Right. Cause there is a limit. Um, so it's just really interesting to be in the space now and to see it kind of catching on is very cool. Cause it was, it was a little lonely for the past couple of years and Faven is very, very new, but there's been a lot of R and D and a lot of very, very sideways looks when I tell people about it. So now that it's kind of like catching steam, it's very rewarding and, and having a lot better conversations now, less people calling me crazy and I don't know science and stuff like that. So that's fun, <laughs> but yeah, good lead in Jason. Thank you. I was wondering what kind of results are you seeing with under canopy lighting? Like what are the differences you've noticed through your tests? Um, so, you know, everybody wants to talk yield and I think that is, unfortunately it is the most important thing in the cannabis space right now, because that is how you stay alive. Um, and you have to be hitting a certain grams per square foot to even compete in this space. So everybody wants to hear yield. So I understand. Um, and to be honest, we're seeing on average anywhere from 25 to 35% on just about every single first time user. We have people hitting higher than that. I don't really feel comfortable discussing higher than that just because I don't want to give, you know, false hope. And, but if the situation is right, your planting density is right. You're feeding right. You're irrigating right. There is, I mean, there are some very, very high grams per square foot coming out. And, you know, I think, I think, we are in a place in the market where you can't, you can't give up, 
quality for yield, right? You need to have both in unison. Um, and Faven delivers that. And that is through a lot of testing because we're not trying to add more light to the top of the plant where it's already getting a you know, substantial amount of light. We are really looking at a holistic approach to lighting the entirety of the plant. And there are so many little intricacies that goes on to having like, you know, just having a little more heat under the canopy. Well, that means the VPD between the top of your plant and the bottom and the middle of your plant are actually more even. So the plant is actually metabolizing a lot more efficiently. Um, that's kind of like a side effect we saw. It wasn't really our main goal, but that little bit of heat actually does help because we measure the VPD at the top, but what's your unders looking like? Like it's very wet and it's very cool down there. Adding a little bit of light is it really, it creates more sources of energy for the plant than sinks of energy. Right. And, and so that's a whole, like I said, a secondary thing that we saw, but for, to answer your question, um, really 25 to 35% is like everybody seeing that just about everybody seeing it. It's, it's been pretty incredible. And that's all the R and D we did, you know, first off, that's why the company that I was working for, they rolled it out so quickly because we got these numbers back and it was, it was substantial. So I'm, I'm going to jump in here with a question that uh, yeah. I've always been curious about and kind of the way that um, earlier on, before I had a lot of experience with under canopy was, was how I explained it to my clients as well as, um, so for that yield increase, what, what's the amount of power increase? You know, how much, how much more light are we actually adding to the room? Is it a one-to-one -one ratio where we're just saying, Hey, we're adding more light to the room. So we're getting more yield out of it. Or is it something like, Hey, we're adding more right light in the correct places. And so we're getting uh, you know, a more than one-to-one -one ratio of yield out of that uh, light increase. Dude, I completely agree, right? A watt is a watt. And, you know, the the relationship between how much light is in your room is, is going to be directly correlated to how much yields in your room if you're irrigating and everything else is in unison. So if you think about a four-by-four four square, um, say we've got one, let's just call it a thousand watt just to keep it even, you know, just keep a nice round number. Well, you're adding two 120 watt Faven bars. So that's 240 Watts. Okay. So there's your 25% right there, right? 240 Watts is about exactly 25% of a thousand Watts. So that's your, I'm not saying it's a guaranteed locked in 25%, but like you're adding 25% more light. You're probably going to get that yield where the one-to-one -one changes and you great question is how are people getting 30, 35 and higher? Well, it's where the light is and how the plants are structured and how that particular cultivar puts on buds. Um, you know, you've got some that throw really nice, like golf ball size nugs all the way through, like a, to think of like a high yielder that's very popular right now, like Gushmints. Like Gushmints with under canopy is just great cheating. Like it's absolutely cheating because the plant is just full top to bottom. I mean, it's absolutely full with just golf balls and all these nugs are usable and they're high quality and they're finished and they're, you know, they're very mature. Like it's all the colors there, like just everything about it is, is a plus quality. Um, and so that's really where you're gaining that extra above that 25%. Um, so yeah, great question. You're really, it's really just where it's applied how you are shaping your plants um, by like, you know, we're not really under clearing too much anymore. You know, I'd rather drop plant count than under clear. All right. So you're making, so each and every plant is completely utilized. Um, and that's been a complete game changer there. Yeah. Great question. Cause 
you got to know what you're putting in to get out. Right. Yeah, no, totally. And also, I mean, I just appreciate too, like you're really talking about maintaining the quality at the same time that we're, we're adding the supplement. And so it's still a very active process, right? It's not just put the lights there and then you get to go chill. (laughs) Still got some work to do. You can't, you can't add anything to your room and not watch a couple other things down the line change. Right. So, um, it's hard because I tell people to drop plant count and like that'll, that'll freeze a grower up real fast, you know, especially a, like a facility owner. They'll be like, I'm not dropping plant count. I'm like, just, just try it on half your table and try the other half your old plant count, you know? And if you're, if you're already lower in plant count, you're probably okay. Like nine per four by four is like a really nice sweet spot. Um, a couple of people do eight and get really good results, but it really just comes down to your space, how big your plants are. And I mean, Jason, there's, a thousand variables there. So it's hard to SOP it is what I'm trying to say. Like I can't, I have a loose SOP that I kind of give to people and I'm like, you're going to need to find how it works within your facility, but this is a good place to start, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I personally, I, I think it's worth it just for the side effects of when we talk about product consistency, um, you know, reduced in um, processing complexities. If I've got a higher amount of a buds, I'm putting less time and money into processing it and, you know, doing side effects, uh, and obviously getting a little bit more of a premium out of it. So, um, you know, between that and, you know, and canopy management, you know, some of those labor things are, are kind of a freebie on the side effect of increased yield. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Tim. Uh, no, I was just gonna say, um, you said, um, what was the word? Something complexities? Like, uh, what did you just use? That was a perfect term to describe what we're noticing. Um, and product, uh, inconsistency is, is a big issue right now. We have, you know, there's a big demand for purple, right? What's purple? What's half purple? What's green, you know, A, B's and C's all, you know, the green ones and the purple ones, you're looking at five to six different baskets now well, with under canopy, you're really looking at a consistent density, size, color. And so there's no need to sort anymore. Like my, most of the facilities that have fully switched over are saving so much on the time it takes to trim because there's less sorting from each trimmer, right? Um, They're seeing way less bee buds, right? So everything's going premium. And then another one that's really hard to factor for each and every um, brand is, you know, there's a ratio that that brands kind of live and die by. And that's like, that's your, your bulk pound to eighth ratio, right? How many of that, how many eighths in that bulk pound made it into jars? And I know brands that are in the 50, 60%, which is very low. And I know brands that are closer to the 90, 95%, but you're talking about getting that extra premium for that bud if it can go in a jar, right? And so this is, every brand is different, but with under canopy, everything is so uniform and so usable and so mature and so high quality and just dank, to be honest with you, everything's so dank um, that it makes it into a jar. And then that bulk unit went from, you know, call it a thousand bucks on the bulk market. And now it just got jarred and is fetching, you know, double that price on the, on the consumer market. You know, that, those are the things that I can't quantify, but I can bring to the table, you know, when I talk to, you know, potential clients and whatnot. So, um, good point, that consistency in the, uh, the complexity. I'm going to probably steal that from you, Jason. I really appreciate it. <laughs> hey, it's on the internet, man. It's yours now. <laughs> there you go. 
I love this conversation. All right, y'all. Well, we got two lighting experts on the show, um, but also both of them know a lot about cultivation. So I feel like we're going to go ahead and get started on some viewer questions. Would love to hear any specific questions related to lighting, if anybody has stuff related to that, so we can really leverage Tim's expertise today. But also, Tim, feel free to chime in on any of these questions that come through. Um, I'm going to start with this first one we got in from Instagram from Rocket Bud Farms. I got a few They're more quite... questions for Tim before we, we oh, get moving on. Oh, if you let don't me mind. please go for it. Yeah. Hey. So Let's go, Jason. So so Tim, um, you know, I've seen quite a few implementations of under canopy in flower rooms. Uh, do you have people using it in bedrooms, mom rooms, any other places, uh, or are you strictly doing it in the flower rooms these days? Um, interesting enough, a couple months ago, I had a, a, a buddy reach out to me and they're very, very tight on power constraints, um, new facility turning on, um, very tight on power, having to flip flop rooms, right? 12 hours on 12 hours off, you know, and what they figured out is they had enough juice left to apply under canopies and turn them on and use them to keep one of the flower rooms in veg for as long as they needed. Um, just with that supplemental under canopy lighting. So they didn't have enough to run 18 hours a day with their top lights, but they had enough to run 12 hours a day with their top lights and have the under canopies turn on for another six hours. So keeping them out of flower, which really helped them. Um, and I've seen it done in mom rooms. Um, it was interesting. It was really hard for the workflow, but it made a ton of sense because you were now, you know, a mom is good. You know, if you can get a clone per how many clones per square foot is like a very, you know, if you're running a mom room, you need to be looking at clones per square foot and like how many moms you need and what your bench spacing is. And so now you're kind of looking instead of like a square, we're looking at cubic, right? We're looking like how much cubic feet of mom space do we have? Because it's got underlighting. Um, so I don't know if it is, I haven't done the analysis enough to know if it's worth it to like have a smaller amount of moms that are have under canopy lighting, but it's definitely something that the, the market is going to test out before I get around to it, to be honest. That's what most, most, uh, most of our data is coming back from like, yeah, the people we have partnered in here in Northern California, but the feedback we have, you know, lights in hundreds of growers of hands and uh, hundreds of growers hands now. And it's, uh, the feedback is just daily and it's, it's pretty incredible. So, um, but yeah, to your point, like I've seen people use it to keep plants out of flower when they're tough on, you know, electricity. And then I have seen the mom usage. I just didn't know if it, you know, penciled out, I guess you could say. Gotcha. Um, got another question here. Uh, let's chat about spectrum a little bit and yeah, I've, uh, some of my favorite, um, growers I've seen implement, uh, under canopy with their HPSs up above, um, you know, maybe yeah. they've been cultivating for quite a while. And, um, let's just think about, is this somewhere where maybe during the end of ripening, I want to turn your, your under canopy lights off just to help, you know, make sure I am getting the farther red lighting from my, my HPSs or, or, or what kind of options do we have there that you might recommend? Um, dude, right on. Yeah. So the HPS spectrum that we have slated for um, those rooms is a little higher in blue. And that really comes from watching um, being around long enough to remember when we checkerboarded metal halides and HPS in rooms. And those were, those are some of my favorite rooms, you know, and I don't know if it's nostalgia or what, but 
those are some of my favorite rooms and the dankest, you know, cannabis I've had. And, um, you know, everybody got away from those quietly because, you know, we didn't have a forward facing community to talk about it and everybody was chasing yield just like always, you know, HPS was putting off better yield. So when we got the ability to kind of look at spectrum balancing and how like how HPS is so heavy in the red, orange, and yellow, um, I kind of thought back to those days with the metal halides. And then also um, a lot of people are checkerboarding full spectrum LEDs and HPS is in rooms and that cannabis is coming out exceptional. Um, there's something to that balance. So um, when we put our spectrum in, we really tried to hit a lot of, you know, it's still got a lot of far red in there, um, but it's balanced out with a lot of blues, yellows, greens, like a little bit of what the HPS light is missing. Um, now for dimmability, favens are dimmable. Uh, most products on the market are not. Um, and that comes from, I like to start them early in flower and ramp up intensity. And then certain genetics, you can do it to every genetic, but certain genetic actually kind of needs you to turn down that intensity. Um, ones that are a little more sensitive to light, plants that are a little more finicky. Um, so when we start ripening, I'll actually tell people, you know, first time you can run 100% and try it, or you can start, start dimming things, you know, take 10% off first day of ripening and then reduce 5% over the next few days until you're done and you're harvested and, and um, you can really maintain quality of the buds closest to the lights that way. Um, now, obviously light is yield. So you may not get, you know, the 100 percentile of how like the best you're going to get out of that row, but there's something to be said about maintaining that quality and just really watching the ripening of your buds. Um, so good question again. And I really like the ability to dim. We run a lot of finicky genetics, a lot of runs, a lot of skittles, a lot of not the easiest cultivars to run. So um, a lot of those seem to be, seem to really like having the the energy dimmed down on them just a little bit towards the end. And I only usually get to about 75, probably between 70 and 80% is my sweet spot when I, when I'm finished, harvested, everything done. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Now I, I, I love that you jumped right into the, the intensity modulation because that's, that was going to be my next question as well. So, um, we, we don't even have to that. Um, so it sounds, it sounds like you got just one um, spectrum type uh, across your product line. Is that right? So we have one spec'd out for HPS and then one for your typical full spectrum LED that you see in just about every grow. So, and that one side's a lot, uh, a lot more on the red side. Okay. Kind of just incorporating what I see as a lack of most um, top light LEDs in use today, just kind of a lack of red. Um, and just being there kind of luckily enough, I was able to do a lot of spectrum trials um, at the company I worked for before. And I just remember having, I just remember having an led room and putting like a more blurple spectrum underneath. And those results were great. Whereas like the more white light didn't, it just didn't have the same effect and it didn't round out the product as it should like, and the spectrum balancing is more of a quality side right? We didn't do it because it's better for yield. It's all going to be yield. You're adding light to your plants. You're going to have an increased yield, but we wanted to make sure growers had the ability to control their quality as well. Um, and I think spectrum balancing is kind of the term we're using. You're just balancing out what your top is doing with your bottom, you know? And, um, so yeah, we have our full spectrum 
farther red, I guess you could say, and um, having great results with it. Love them. Just put them on some double stacks and had a great time. <laughs> double tier. Right. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, so about the dimmability, uh, do you guys sell like a dedicated controller for that for dimmability or is it zero to 10 volts so I can use a standardized lighting controller for that? Um, it's zero to 10. Um, Trollmaster is a really easy one to integrate with. Um, it just takes an LMA 14, the light lighting adapter. Um, oddly enough, Vivo sun controllers from Amazon work decently well. Um, and anybody who's buying Faven to just run a trial, I always say, go ahead and buy that one just because it's a little cheaper and you don't have to buy a full Trollmaster setup right off the bat. Um, but yeah, that's your dimmability that you're on off. Um, it just has a, you know, RJ 11 or RJ 13 cord that runs to your controller and you know, you're set up from there. Nice. Nice. And very easy. You know, since, since we do have the, the, the lighting specialist guy on here, um, what do you think about, uh, you know, ramping in and out of intensity as far as when we're turning lights on, turning them off, obviously HPSs have a, a certain warm up time, uh, and then they have some residual cool down time that they're still producing light. So they have a fairly natural curve on the, the edges of that, um, photo period LEDs on the other hand are, are usually almost full brightness almost immediately. Is that something that yeah. uh, you've played with a little bit? You know, I have, um, I don't, I think if you're managing the crop appropriately, I haven't seen the need for it, but I think there are benefits that I maybe haven't spent the time to really pull that thread on. Um, but I do think I, I, I am a little more cautious with LEDs than I am with HPS. And that just comes from, you know, kind of getting my butt kicked early with LED trans, you know, transition from HPS. And I, that, you know, somebody who came right into the industry and has been full LED, they're probably a little less hesitant than me. Um, but yeah, I, I that, that, uh, sunset and, um, sunrise is something that I do like, but I haven't played with it enough. Um, but as for like the under canopy towards it, they pop on, you know, full intensity ripping from, you know, basically 1201, you know, <laughs> or as soon as, as soon as they turn on, they're about a hundred. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, yeah. Let's say I just bought some of your lights or someone else's under canopy lights. Uh, what types of modifications do I need to be aware of as far as HVAC, as far as nutrient load, um, other factors that are kind of a heads up if I am transitioning into uh, under canopy lighting in my room? So water demand is going to be increased. I tell everybody expect about a 10 to 15% increase. Um, and that just comes from volume, right? You're just looking at, you're going to send some more volume. You're probably going to sneak another P2 in there. You're probably going to need, you know, you're going to have to watch your drybacks. They may be a little more intense. Um, and that is easily mitigated. Just making sure, you know, if you get a, I tell everybody to start with one trial bench because it's, it's a lot more fun and a lot easier to watch one bench of under canopy than to try to dial in a whole room with it. But if you just have one bench and one irrigation zone, it's easy to mitigate the water needs, especially if you have a platform like Arroyo. Like you can just see it. You can pull up the row with it and pull up the row without it. And I mean, you can see the sharp, you know, downtrend of the water content line. Um, food is another one that we see an increased demand. Uh, but we really, 
and I tell everybody 10% on that just as like a blanket SOP and you can go up or down from there. Um, but really we see it more with HPS rooms that add under canopy lights because they're adding the full spectrum, you know, it's more of an, you're adding LEDs to an HPS room. When you're adding more LEDs to an LED room, you're probably feeding enough. Um, most people are, but I always tell people if they see kind of a deficiency, um, you know, they're, I would pop it up about 10%. You know, if you're at three Oh run three, three, you know, if you're higher than that, you, you'll probably, you're probably all right. Um, but it depends on the conditions of your rooms, obviously. But those are the two main ones, I think. Um, and then people ask for heat, you know, HVAC cap capacity. Um, you know, a watt is a watt. And there's a direct translation from a watt to BTU. And, you know, it's easy math. You can just Google it. But, and this is, you know, I, I may get, you know, may not get the greatest feedback about this, but this is very not scientific, but it, where that heat is on the plant is very applied. I should say this is very applied. Chew me out scientifically if you want to, but it's where that heat is, right? We're not adding it to the top of the room, right? We're adding it underneath the plant and the plant is, it's so close to the, the gas exchange in the plant where it's, I'm not saying it's hundred percent mitigated, but there's less of an increase that you're planning on. And I haven't been able to really like dial this in on, you know, exactly what is happening in that process. But because it is in the lower canopy, the plant is just utilizing the heat. Like it, it needs that heat right there. Um, and again, it's so close to the transpiration process that it's just kind of chewing up that extra little bit of heat, right? We already have very cool lights. Our, our lights run from about 85 to 93. Like they're not hot. We did that on purpose, right? That took us a long time to figure out how to mitigate that heat down there. Um, but a little bit of heat actually helps, you know, as we were talking earlier, right? It really evens out the VPD top to bottom of your plant. So your plant's just moving in a better, a more uniform way. Um, so yeah, that's, that's another one. Uh, dehum, right? If you're transpiring more, if you're having to water more, you're transpiring more. So dehum capacity, but that is usually mitigated with dropping plant count. Like you, a lot of people who are nervous about it, I'm like, Hey, drop the plant count, you know, instead of four plants wide, go three plants wide and they've had zero issues. Right. So if you can drop that plant count to kind of mitigate that extra little bit, um, it's, you know, it hasn't been too much. Nobody's called me and been like, I've completely blown up a room. You know, it's, it, it's not that, you know, um, I have blown up a room before, but it wasn't Faven's. It was very early on in the R and D. <laughs> I definitely, we Definitely got a little wild in there, but that's what R and D's for. Um, anyway, but yeah, great question. Cause you're going to see some changes. They're just, they're so minimal. And with the technology and the workflows we have set up in commercial cannabis, like they're so easy to maintain and they're so easy to be like, Oh, okay, that's happening. Let me do this. You know, and that's, that's by design because being a commercial cultivator for so long, I know that the two main things that, you know, putting a product on market needs to do is one ROI Cannabis is not what it used to be. Nobody's got free cash flow everywhere. ROI has got to be on point. Faven is a single run return on investment for more than 90% of the people we work with. And then two, it cannot interrupt commercial workflow. We know that workflow is king, is absolutely king in commercial. We can't be like, hey, here's 25% extra yield, but everything you do on the daily is now junk and you have to restart. Like there's no way any product could come in and blow up a facility's workflow. So we knew we had to be easy. We knew we had to integrate. Um, and that's, 
you know, like I said, that's all by design. So just been a long time <laughs> quietly working. Yeah. And you know, the fact that you brought up the, you know, the physical constraints, workflow constraints, can you tell me a little bit about, you know, what it is, what, what's it like going through a cycle implementing, um, under canopy lighting, specifically, you know, the pavement under canopy lighting. A lot of, a lot of times I see this where the under canopy lights are sitting on some pots that are upside down, um, yeah. or, or, or other, other interesting, uh, implementations just, just because it yeah. is a newer type of, of product in the market, but you know, what's it look like to get them set up, to clean them, um, you know, room turnover, how much extra time do you think is going on in there? Maybe you can walk us through that. Yeah, definitely a lot less time than under clearing, under clearing your plants. Um, that's for sure. Um, but you know, setup is fairly simple. Um, I like to put the plants in the room first and then, um, then we install lights. You can do the opposite. It's just, if you have two rows of favens, getting that plant in between is kind of a pain. Um, so we put the plants in the room, we set them up. Everybody's using PVC brackets or pots right now. We have legs, they are coming. Um, we were kind of caught up with adjustability and trying to not pass on a ton of cost to the consumer um, because it's already a lot to add to your room. And we didn't want to add like, hey, here's adjustable legs. We need another X amount of dollars. Like we want it to fit in with our product so we can just have legs. Um, so we have standard legs, standard sizes coming um, there. They should be here any day, to be honest with you. Um, and that's going to be the best way to implement because they're V shaped. They have great airflow, right? I want to make sure everybody's got their airflow down on those benches. Um, the clip is unique to Faven. So you just pop the light in very simple. Um, and you basically click, clip them in end to end. There's no cords in between, right? We're IP 66 rated. It's a very nice connection port. Um, and you, you know, at 277, which most commercial growers are running, you can daisy chain 20 of them together, you know, so it's, you can cover, um, you can cover a lot of space with them. Um, and so you get them set up and, you know, we usually veg in our flower rooms for, I don't know, two, three days, nothing crazy. We, I just like acclimation. I, I think plants do better when they acclimate instead of like plant them and flip them. You know, if that's how your schedule allows for, I get it. But you know, we like to leave them in there and I leave the under canopies off until day one of flower. Um, day one though, we're turning them on 50%, 45 to 50% is like the, the lower setting that I like to really mess with. Um, and I leave them there for a couple of days and then I slowly start ramping them 5%, 10% every other day, with however you want to, it's best to just set a goal. You know, you want to be at hundred percent by day 21, day 17, whatever that may be. Um, you know, set your goal there and, you know, increase your percentages accurately. Um, and then once they're at hundred percent, usually that's after stack, after stretch is done. Um, and we leave them on hundred percent and all the way and just kind of go about bulking as bulking. And then the only real change at the end is when you start ripening. And that's when I start turning them down on certain genetics, certain genetics really don't mind. And they kind of like it at the end. Um, we just did a row of blue dream because I know everybody's like, Oh, you yielded on blue dream. Good job. That's not that crazy. Like everybody can, but, but the consumer market and the rec market in California it's, it's still a top three selling strain. So we were like, all right, let's put it on some blue dream and see, you know, see what happens. And it was hilarious because we didn't dim down that row and it's the dankest, stickiest, like the greatest blue dream you've had in a, in a while, you know? Um, so anyway, it, some strains want to be dim. Some strains 
don't mind, obviously, like no, no strain mines being dimmed, but some can really like keep at a hundred until, you know, harvest. Um, but yeah, that's your only change. You know, you're ramping up, you get to a hundred percent, you're leaving it a hundred percent or whatever percentage you decide to leave it at. It doesn't have to be a hundred and then ramping down if you want to during ripening. So very, very easy. These are, you're already making irrigation adjustments. You're making lighting adjustments, right? It all kind of is in that switch. So it just becomes a part of the SOP. It's very, very simple. Um, and then cleanup. We harvest the plants. The If you've ever held a Faven unit in your hand, then you know they're sturdy. Like these aren't like wispy little bars that'll break. So they can handle being harvested onto. A plant can hit them. They're going to be fine. You know, it's not brittle. Um, so we harvest. We go through. We pull the lights out before the pots and um, we clocked five workers, uh, four workers, four workers to pull out of, it was 180 lights, Faven lights in a room. Um, and they, it was all the way from unclipping to bringing them out of the room to wiping them down with just alcohol. Um, never do it with a dry rag. That's the only exception. Um, you'll scratch the lens, um, wipe it down and stack them and get ready for implementation for the next room. And it was less than 45 minutes with four people for 180 lights. You know, we're talking very minimal extra labor. Um, and if you have more hands, that's just going to go even faster. But you have somebody unclipping them, somebody bringing them out, put it at the station, they wipe it down, they stack it. I mean, it's such an easy SOP. Um, and we have good, you know, Faven Lighting, our Instagram has um, a good reel on that too. Um, so. Yeah. Tim, I got a question for you. Actually, somebody yeah. just submitted this on YouTube. It's perfect segue into what you're talking about. They were actually wondering, do I need to lollipop like I normally would? Talk a little bit about trimming up the plant and defoliation differences, if any. Yeah, um, a lot of difference, actually. And it's one of the reasons why I'm, I kind of harp on dropping plant count because you're going to add lights down there. You keep your plant count the same and you stop under clearing. You're going to get a little congested. Um, and that congestion is okay because you're like, I don't, you know, I want all this, this product. I want all this product, but you know, there's something to be said of like, if you're having to deleaf too much to get that vertical penetration, penetration of the light, then you're kind of defeating the purpose. So if you're, you're basically, we're not under clearing as much I'm doing, I like to do the, the shock. It's about this much, <laughs> but like, this is your soil. This is the top of like how much I'm under clearing. Um, and it all depends on plant sizing and all that jazz. But for the most part, you know, the top of, or the base of your light is sitting at the base or the, the rim of your pot. And so I under clear just a little bit, anything that's not getting hit directly by light. Um, and it really, it, it's really different for every grower, but we are really not under clearing. We are dropping plant count, making sure there's no extra congestion down there because you are leaving all those branches. Um, so it saves you a ton of labor in lollipopping or skirting or under clearing, whatever the term is, um, saves you a ton of labor there. And then, you know, I've seen the, the opposite where, you know, they leave plant count the same, but they end up deleafing like crazy. And I do not like deleafing heavy. I know a lot of people do it and a lot of good cultivators I know do it. Um, it's just not my favorite thing to do. So instead of deleafing like crazy to get that upward mobility of the light, you're, you're really like, it's, you're better off dropping plant count than to just strip your plants of every leaf they have. Um, in my opinion, just from what I've witnessed. 
Um, but your overall goal with this is to create a perfect mix of light in the center of your plant from your top light to your bottom light, like right in the middle. You want, you want your intensity to be consistent from the top to the bottom of the plant. And if you can get that mix of light in the middle, you've done your job and you, you, you nailed it. Um, it's easy to see on HPS, right? Cause we've got this yellow glow and then we've got a more bluey glow from underneath. Um, and it's kind of easy to see on LEDs cause we're so red underneath, but um, if you can create that perfect mix in the center, the, the yield, the capacity to yield more is so much in the center of the plant and the bottom third of the plant that if you can just nail that matrix of light, you, it's it. So, sorry, that was long winded, but yes, not a lot of underclearing. <laughs> so I got, I got a great, a great question here for you. Um, one that Please. I don't know the answer to. And that is when, uh, when you talk about the perfect mix in the middle, how are we measuring that? You know, let's say I'm going in there with a, a pyranometer or any light measurement device. Do I flip that down on to see how the canopy <laughs> light's coming up? Um, because when we think was... about leaf biology, obviously, you know, our chlorophyll, the chloroplasts are on top of the leaf. Um, so right. most of that absorbed energy is actually, you know, being reflected back down. Right. So, so how, how, um, you know, using measurement tools, would you go in there and know that your, your light is at a good ratio top to bottom? So, um, I'm, I'm always watching my par at canopy always, always top of the canopy and I'm lower than most people. I'd say, um, LEDs and HPS, I tend to be a little lower than most people at the top. Um, when it comes to measuring in the middle, I was joking with, uh, Jordan from blueprint this morning. And I was like, I just, the next product is a, is a par meter. That's got a thing on the top and a thing on the bottom. And I just stick it in the plant and it's perfect. So Apogee, please, um, rugby, make me one, please. That would be awesome. Um, but yeah, you're actually measuring, you know, I, I like to go in there and find the middle of the plant and it's difficult because there's always a stem or always a leaf kind of, you know, in there kind of getting in your way of taking a reading. Um, but I'm looking at what I'm getting in the center of the plant. I flip my meter upside down, like you were just saying, and then I flip my meter right back, right side up to kind of see what is, what is um, kind of penetrating through from the top and the bottom. And then I, we've been using a spectrometer and looking at which spectrum we're getting that reading from, right? It's easier in HPS rooms, right? And so that's been really interesting to see how much reflectivity and, um, how, what is going on in that center of the plant. And it's really just a mix of both. Like we're really like when we nail it and we're like, okay, this is the perfect plant height for this genetic. Like it's really this perfect mix of both. Um, and for, you know, the question of like, how intense do you get? I mean, how intense do you want to feed? You know, how, what can that plant handle? You know, like these lights at hundred percent can kick off some, some par, some PPF, like you guys, it, it, it definitely, you know, it kind of cranks in there. Um, and so you kind of find the balance on different cultivars and, and different rooms and whatnot. Um, gosh, I had one more thing to add to yours and I, it's escaping me right now. I'll, I'll, I'll remember in a little bit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, anyway, so that's kind of how we're measuring it. I got another question for you, Tim. Somebody wanted to know if they're running 650 watt LED from horticultural lighting group, which fave and lighting item would they purchase? Would they I'm need assuming, to contact you? Yeah. And so there's a couple companies that are putting out LEDs that have spectrum control, um, which are very awesome. Um, I don't have any personal firsthand with that. 
Um, I will say that I always side with our more red spectrum. I just think that cannabis growers as a whole, cannabis as a whole, um, they everybody kind of sides more towards the deeper red. Um, it's more efficient. You know, there's a lot that goes into that. Both will work. Um, I just side with red. Um, greenhouse application, red. Um, you know, mix light, top, you know, top light, HPS and LED, I side with red again. Um, you know, the, our HPS version is very much to try to give the HPS growers an advantage in just quality top to bottom and bring out a whole different terpene profile. Um, but most genetics are just, most people who call me that have, that, that have favens in their rooms, they'll call me week six and be like, why is my room so terpy? And, you know, we think it's a lot of the spectrum balancing that we're doing here. Um, but for those few companies that have the, the, the hard, the, the really nice like spectrum tuning where you can almost mimic an HPS, you know, I still would side with the red. I think, um, the feedback that I've gotten from customers that I'm like, Oh, I don't know. Let me send you both, you know, let me know, like, please. Uh, they've been like, yeah, just, just go with the red. And I'm like, okay, I, I, that's what makes sense scientifically to me. But, um, but yeah, anyway, so I would side with the more R8 spectrum. Why is my room so terpy? I love that you actually get those phone calls. <laughs> it's so great. I get them weekly now. Like it's like, I get like, dude, my yield is this. And I get, you know, man, my, like, this is chronic. I get them so much now. And I, you know, I follow up with like 500 questions because I want to know how they did it, how it worked, how they like it. Da, 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 da. But um, yeah, it's, um, it's been really cool. It's been, like I said earlier, I, we have, you know, hundreds of lights or thousands of lights out. We have hundreds of growers using them now and everybody grows different still. Like everybody's got a different way of approaching and running different genetics. So it's been such a learning experience since we released Faven, you know, seven, eight months ago. Gosh, I can't remember what I was going to say to you, Jason. And just on the tip of my tongue, I'm so bummed right now. I had a good one for you. (laughs) It'll pop up right after we're off air. I'll get you on Tuesday. I'll get you on Tuesday. (laughs) Well, in the, in these uh, next 10 minutes, y'all want to get into actually really five minutes or so you want to get into some cultivation and crop sharing questions. Yeah, let's do it. Sorry. I kind of took the show there. I wanted to make sure we were, um, those were all great questions. Getting deep in the light. I love it when Jason talks about lighting. It's fun. Nerding out. I love it. All right. Let's get into this one. We got this one from rocket bud farms on Instagram. They wrote, my clone tips of the leaves are turning brown after a week from cutting. My PPFD is around 100, humidity 85 to 90%, soaked in 2.5 EC solution, summing them rooting faster than others, cut from the same plant. Sounds like they need some advice. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of just going to break down with some pretty typical cloning SOPs and it's hard to say which one of these would be causing that in this situation. Um, obviously cleanliness of tools is one that I think get, gets overlooked easily, especially if you're, you're low on staff or, or running a pretty budget system in there. Um, you, you know, just make sure that you've you know, got a bleach solution there that you're changing out your cutting tools with. Um, uh, you know, another thing is make sure that, uh, you know, you're going in and cleaning up those cuts. So, so make it in a nice 40 feet, five degree angle. Um, hopefully at the, at the node knob, if you can, um, you know, make sure that, uh, you're using a pretty fresh cloning agent. Um, and I would probably use one that's more popular on the markets. Um, you can get that stuff pretty, pretty cheap, um, in, in bulk supply and, uh, dilute it down if you want, or you can use a brand name from your nutrient manufacturer. Uh, lots of great options for that. Um, making sure that your rock wool is, is 
is prepped well. Uh, that's another situation there. Um, and then the last one, actually, there's probably a whole bunch more in there, but I'm kind of just trying to hit the ones that I think might be affecting you. Um, just keep an eye on what your what your um, what your watering looks like as well. So you know, most of the time that we're going to be letting that that rock will dry down a little bit um, before we do get that first irrigation in there. And one of my favorite ways to build SOPs on that is just using a kitchen scale. Um, and documenting basically, Hey, here's what my, my wet weight of this substrate is, and then keep an eye on it. And that way, you know, next time you run it or from tray to tray to tray, we can make sure that we're getting the same drybacks, um, across those. And, and that should help a little bit with consistency on those clonings. You know, as far as the, the brown tips, um, you know, that doesn't sound like it's going to be due to light, you know, hundred micromoles is usually a pretty good place for getting clones to, to rock and roll. And, um, you know, those humidities are okay as long as you're getting a burp every once in a while. So, you know, it's, it's hard to say to me, it sounds like, you know, possible contamination somewhere or just inconsistency in application. Yeah. And, um, all great tips. I think cleanliness is, is really number one when it comes to cloning. Um, and the, the other thing, and I, this is coming from a very recent experience where one of our facilities was having not good clone, uh, <laughs> cloning rates, um, kind of out of nowhere too. Um, and it came down to how long we were leaving our domes on for. Um, and we kind of come to realize that if we had, if we've got plenty of humidity in our rooms, the domes really only need to stay on for like a day, day and a half. And it's actually detrimental um, you know, burping them once a day really isn't enough. You need to burp, you know, multiple times a day if you're going to leave the domes on. Um, and that's where I kind of saw the leaf tip browning where it wasn't the healthiest plant. Um, and as soon as we started, we actually started going domes for one day and then removing domes. Um, and we're lucky enough to have a very consistent environment. So make sure, you know, before you try that, your, your environment's on point. Um, but just do a trial tray, you know, try a couple of the things that Jason outlined, um, and just do domes off, no domes day, you know, dome for one day, dome for three days, just try a couple things. And the more you try in a shorter amount of time, the, the, the faster you're going to figure out your issue. And it's probably going to be something so basic that you're going to, you're going to be mad at yourself. Cause that's what always what it is. It's always something simple. Yeah. So, you know, and there's a ton of great resources always. out there. Um, one that, you know, one that comes to mind for me is checking out uh, Grodan has some great cloning resources on their site. There's their white papers for cloning applications. Um, Athena, actually, just their growers SOP, a great big book that covers a lot of aspects of there and their, their cloning section. It's pretty solid as well. So maybe go check those out and there's going to be a lot more detail in there that we might have missed out on. Amazing. Thank you guys for sharing your insights on that. Uh, Rocket Bud Farms, good luck. All right, we're going to keep it moving. We also got this question on Instagram from Kushline. Kushline, they write, Hi, Arroyo family. I'm in day four of flowering in generative steering, and I cannot achieve my 40% dry pack. Sometimes, sometimes I have to jump a day of irrigation to get it. My run of pH is 6.1, and my runoff is EC is 3.3. Got any tips for Kushland? What size substrate they say? So we've got day four of flowering. I cannot achieve. They're looking for 40% dry back, run a pH of 6.1, runoff EC is 3.3. Nothing more than that. Those are the details they were shared. So, you know, a 40% dry back would be a very, a very significant one. Um, you know, that's going to be a generative type of dry back, probably somewhere around, you know, week two weeks. I mean, like 
day 14, excuse me, um, and flower once your plants have established pretty optimal, you know, plant growth. I mean, you're looking at a, a plant that's, um, you know, getting right maybe in the middle of stretching. That's when we see some of those drybacks to be maximized. Uh, I personally wouldn't get too concerned um, about, you know, making sure you're at a 40%. I've seen generative applications, you know, be it at 25% and, and still induce a hormone balance in the plant that is more reproductive, you know, that more, more generative response from the plant. Um, you know, that being said, you know, if you are in, in rock wool, um, I would be concerned about that, you know, that pH of the runoff being a little, little bit too high for what I prefer. Um, and also, you know, if you're running a 40% dryback in rock wool, you're going to be just right on that limit of becoming hydrophobic, um, possibly past the limit of being hydrophobic, just depending on what you're seeing in your field capacities. And then if you are in, um, something like, like cocoa, um, I wouldn't be too concerned. You know, if you really want to push super hard generative, you can do a skip day with your irrigation and let it, let it do that 40% dry back. You just, you know, got to make sure that, Hey, I'm not riding the line too close. That if, if, if there's an issue, um, that I don't have something detrimental. So, um, you know, another option would be if 40% is what you absolutely have to have, then drop a size and, uh, this substrate, um, you know, depending on uh, what you're in now, you'll have a little bit more or possibly less controllability of how, how you're doing irrigations. Um, you know, when we drop a size, if we're, we are hitting that 40%, yeah, we got still again, less buffer, less, um, room for air. The, when we're going to irrigate, you know, if the next day, if those don't happen on time, then we could be running into some, some drought stressors. Um, that being said, you know, when we have more steerability, so if we are in a, a smaller one, then, you know, every once in a while, we're going to have to stretch out our irrigations when we get later in the plant cycle. Um, sometimes we just have to implement P2s even when we're only wanted to do P1s. So those are some options there. Anything to add, Tim? Yeah, just um, crop steering. I think um, people get hung up on percentages and what they need to achieve for the plant. Um, but you really just, just watch what the plant is giving you. Um, it's crop guiding. You're guiding the plant, trying to get it to do what it should be doing at certain times to get, you know, the end result. So if it's giving you right now, it's only giving you, you can give it a, you know, P1 every other day. That's where you're at. That's, that's fine. You're very early. Let it establish. You know, I think, I think you can over irrigate very easily. Um, and oxygen is something that if you over irrigate, you're going to lack in your soil. Oxygen is a great driver of root health and root expansion. So keeping that balance and keeping it a little drier in there, you're just going to create more roots and it's just going to start drying back farther and farther and farther. So you're fine where you're at. Don't do too much. Jason had some great tips. Keep it, keep, just keep it simple. Uh, I love the way that you said that. So like when I first heard the term crop stirring, when I was cultivating, I was like, man, I got so many, so many issues going on at this facility that these plants are driving me, <laughs> not the other way around. So I was like, all right, this is cool. Rather than being in a reactive situation in order to mm -hmm. um, implement plant health or just keep them alive, uh, you know, I was, I was thinking like, all right, well, crop steering is just, it's just a guide, like you said. It's just yeah. like, all right, how do totally. I want this to work if everything is right? Um, and so, you know, every once in a while, you just got to get out of the lane a little bit and, you know, pass the roadblock or, or make your own yeah. road. So yeah, early on when I'm in two gallons, I don't irrigate, but every other day if I'm in one gallons, I have to irrigate or they die. So like, it's just, it's all substrate sizing really. 
Fantastic, you guys. Thank you for that. All right, I got one more question we're going to ask here. This was a great one. As a home grower, I don't care about yield. All I want is quality. Knowing that, would you recommend skipping vegetative steering during bulk and going generative all the way through flower? Sure. You might uh, shorten up your cycle a little bit and you should have pretty high quality. Um, it's not a bad idea if you're not concerned about yield at all. Yeah. And I, I would just, I agree. Like if you, you grow how you want to grow, you know, like it, just grow it how you want to grow it. Um, I think you could probably throw one P2 on there and really be happy with your quality. Um, a lot of times we'll throw a last ditch P2 on things cause we're, you know, undersized in our substrate as we just kind of touched on and we have to. Um, but if you don't have to, and you want to keep it generative and water once a day, I mean, that's, that's just called old school growing. <laughs> it's, it's, it all works. Um, so I would do a run, you know, go full generative and then, um, do a run where, you know, you, you, you add a little bit, something that I'm kind of playing with is, um, how many P2s to do, how early, and then kind of tapering those off. That's been cool. Um, you know, as the weeks, if you, as you get closer to ripening, dropping P2s is helping. So, um, but if you're a home grower, man, you have a blank slate, you get to try anything you want. So. The sky really is the limit with the home growers. Awesome. Yeah. You guys, thank you so much for that. Tim Crow from Faven Lighting, thank you so much for coming on the show. Before we go, can you tell people where to find you, how to follow you, how to connect with you? Uh, yeah, um, Faven Lighting on Instagram, very simple, um, F-A-V-E-N Lighting. Um, I go by Bobby Bags on Instagram as well. I have a decent community there. Um, I don't post as much on that. You're going to get a ton of your research, resources from our Instagram. Favenlighting.com is the best way to, you know, order from us. We have online checkout. Um, if you're a commercial facility, we have a place for you to submit uh, a lighting layout where it just gives us all the specs we need to make sure we can, you know, build you out a lighting layout that, that meets the needs of your facility. Um, you know, info at favenlighting.com is a great email to get in touch with me and our team. Um, just reach out. If you have, um, you pro everybody probably has a ton of questions about under canopy. It's, it's new. It's, kind of a buzzword um and we've been doing it for you know three almost four years now so we're we have just about 90 percent of the answers for you the rest of the 10 percent is up for uh, the rest of the growers to figure out <laughs> and, and let me know please so yeah haven lighting instagram and uh yeah that's where you find us Amazing. All right. And if you all enjoyed this conversation, guess what? When Office Hours is in Sacramento next Tuesday, January 23rd, Tim's going to be on the panel with Seth and Jason. So we're going to keep this conversation going. All right. So just a reminder, we've collaborated with the Connect to Bring Crop Steering Cultivation Conversation live and direct to Sacramento. And I'm going to drop the RSVP link. It's a free event. You definitely want to register and uh, show up because there's going to be on top of great conversation. We're going to be raffling off some pretty special stuff. I heard a rumor. I heard a rumor and Arroyo Go may be raffled off. So we'll see. Stay tuned, y'all. All right. Food too. Just free food free, dinner will be provided you got to rsvp though and it's good <laughs> very important yeah. all right y'all tim thank Thanks you for so much for coming on the show so good to Appreciate have you this is a great platform keep killing it i appreciate you guys 
Uh, we appreciate you. Looking forward to seeing see you, you next Tuesday. week. Yeah, see, see you, you on Tuesday. Tuesday. Thank you, Jason and Chris, our producer, for another great session. And thank you all for joining us for this week's Arroyo Office Hours. To learn more about Arroyo, book a demo at arroyo.io. Our team will walk you through the ins and outs of the ultimate cannabis cultivation platform. If you have any crop steering or cultivation questions you want us to cover, drop them anytime via the Arroyo app. Email us at sales at arroyo.io. Send us a DM via Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. We definitely want to hear from you. And if you're a fan of the pod, be sure to subscribe on our YouTube channel so you never miss an episode. Thanks so much. See you in Sacramento, hopefully next week, and certainly at the next session. Thanks, y'all. Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroya, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at Arroyo.io.